Thanks for joining us again. I'm continuing thoughts on how we are, what, what do we know for sure about what's going on now in the Middle East? What, what's clear thinking about in confusing times? Today, I want to talk about how God, uh, why war is sometimes justified. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you again that you love us. I pray that you would give us your thoughts, stir us to think your thoughts, to make applications beyond my words, to draw closer to you through Christ, I pray. Amen. So one of the things about living in the Washington, D.C. area is I'm sure I have known more people that, um, that have served in the military than I've ever expected to know good friends. In fact, I play on a softball team of mostly of all veterans. It was made up by the whole team system. There are a whole bunch of teams in this organization are all veterans. And I guess every once in a while they feel sorry for a preacher. And so the preachers get invited to join. But, um, but people who fight in war, Christians who fight in war really do struggle with the morality of what they're doing. I've met Christians, uh, police officers in the same way, struggle with the morality of using um, deadly force to carry out their duty as, as Christians. Aren't they supposed to love and, you know, turn the other cheek and, and all that? Well, today I want to talk about a couple of things. And the first is that why we understand that God has delegated justice to the state. Um, why what the state does when it declares war is okay, but individuals shouldn't. Romans chapter one verse, Romans chapter twelve verse seventeen and following. Um, I think one of the most important passages in, in all of Scripture to understand to think about the distinctions between individual and state. Romans chapter twelve verse seventeen. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. God's very clear through Paul in Romans chapter 12 at the end of the chapter. Don't take revenge personally. God says, leave room for my, I'll take care of vengeance. In fact, he goes on, Paul says, and if your enemy's hungry, feed them. You know, um, if, if, if you have an enemy, serve them, love them. Don't seek revenge. Then you turn the page. Uh, there weren't chapter divides, of course, when the Bible was, when Paul originally wrote, wrote Romans. It's kind of sad that there's a chapter divide here because he's continuing the same thought. After having said, God says, leave room for my wrath. Don't take revenge. Paul says on the very heels of that, verse 1 of chapter 13, let everyone submit to governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Now, Paul's not saying God puts into place every single person in authority. Paul's making it clear when God created the world, he created it with authority. God is a God of order. We talk about the cosmos. Cosmos is Greek for order. You know, God created an orderly world, and part of the order of the world, we talk about things like, um, you know, laws of gravity and, you know, laws of motion and moral laws. Well, God also put in order authority, is what Paul's writing here. 
And we understand that. The, there's personal authority. We call that self-control, self-discipline. There's family authority. Children are to submit to their parents. There's church authority. The elders are to be responsible for overseeing the church. There's state authority. The state is responsible to allow people to conduct itself in a way so that people can live in peace. The purpose of the God, biblical purpose of the state is very clear and very simple. It's for people to live at peace. So there's an orderly world. Paul goes on verse two. So then the one who resists authority is opposing God's command. And those who God's who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Verse four, for it is the state God's servant for good. If you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry out the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. So just a few verses earlier, Paul says to Christians individually, don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. God will take care of it. Just a couple of verses later, they're asking, well, how's God going to take care of it? How does God adjust in eternity? And in chapter 13, Paul says, no, God has given authority to the state to do justice. Caesar doesn't bear the sword in vain. That is the, you know, capital punishment is kind of the ultimate act of justice. You don't, I mean, it's one thing to, you know, you, you steal somebody's cow, you have to pay back a cow. Um, it's another thing to sacrifice to, for, your, for your life to be forfeit because you've committed murder, for instance. But so, so basically it's giving the extreme and then saying, of course, all the other applications of justice um, are delegated to the state as well. Now, the confusing thing here is, though, what, what confuses you? Why do people get confused? It's because, and it's a classic thing that liberals have done at least since, uh, probably they've done a long time, but at least the Albert Schweitzer and the you know, German the theology in the, in the 19th century. But what they'll, what they'll do is they'll say, and, and modern liberals do this all the time, they'll say, well, Jesus said we're to turn the other cheek. Jesus said, love your neighbor. And what they'll do is they'll confuse either purposefully or out of personal bias and emotion. They'll confuse God's responsibility and direction to the individual with God's direction for the state. The purpose of the church is to bring people to salvation. That is by grace. That is done through love. The individual Christian, we're responsible to bring people to Christ through love and grace. So turn the other cheek. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. The purpose of the state is not the purpose of the individual. The purpose of the state, Paul makes it very clear here in Romans, and we'll make it clear in other places in a moment. The purpose of the state is to do justice. When I think one of the evidences of, of, um, of Satan influencing our generation today is the anti-justice um, attitude that people have. Hey, 
Got to have open borders. Don't need justice on the borders. Hey, you don't, don't punish people who've done wicked things. You know the problem with, well, you know the reason why we have so many people in jail? It's not because people have committed crimes. It's because, it's because there are too many police officers. It's kind of like, no, I don't think that's it. It's not to say there isn't a lot of room for improvement, but that anti-authority attitude is, um, is not biblical. Again, what is the purpose of the state peace? And that's done through justice and punishment, through fear. You know, if, um, remember, the state is God's servant for good. That's why some um, governments set up their, um, set up themselves as ministries. You have a ministry of this and a ministry of that because back when there was Christian influence, biblical influence, they uh, organized their governments thinking, okay, we are ministers of God and of people. Anyway, but remember, if you do wrong, be afraid. See, the purpose of the state is not to bring salvation. The purpose of the state is not to parent people. The purpose of the state is peace so that there's order in the world. So there isn't crime. So people can live in peace and not in fear, except fear that if you do wrong, you will get punished. The purpose of the state is peace. That's done through justice and fear. First Timothy chapter two, verse one, the apostle Paul puts it like this. First of all, I urge you then petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everybody, for kings, for all those who are in authority. Remember at that point, um, pretty good chance Nero was king at this point when Paul writes these things. Isn't that kind of interesting? Pray for Nero, he says. Nero's not the most just guy, but as long as Nero is acting consistently with, with what would be God, God's actions, God's authority, God's justice, then, then that's good. Pray for those who are in authority so that, they, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. We Christians, the church, in all godliness and dignity, this is good. It pleases God, our Savior, who wants everybody to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, the purpose of the church, the purpose of the individual, is to lead people to salvation. God wants everybody to be saved. The purpose of the state is justice so that people, so the church can live at peace, so that the message can be delivered as much, so, the, so that the kingdom can advance in the world. Because God doesn't, God wants everybody to be saved. First Peter chapter two verse thirteen, Peter says the same kind of thing. Submit to every human authority. Why? Because of the Lord, not because they're perfect, not because they do everything right, but because you're submitting to God and you recognize that all authority is, all authority has been set up by God, not by us. Whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. What is the purpose of the state? The state is doing what they should when they punish evil, praise good. There's so much, a little personal commentary, there's so much going on that our state does today, that the word, that the um, uh, that our governments do today that are not what the Bible would say it's supposed to do. I, this is again where I agree with Thomas Jefferson who said, they govern best who govern least. The state does best when it focuses on its primary priority, primary calling by God. But this is also why we have just war theory. War, for certain reasons, conducted in certain ways, is 
underneath God's authority and the responsibility of the state. I'll stop with that and move on. Second thing I would point out is that war also reminds us that we're not made for this world. I was talking to uh, an elderly woman as I was walking a couple of weeks ago, and we got to talking about what was going on in the Middle East. And she was saying, I don't understand. She's from Africa. She said, I don't understand how brothers can fight brothers like this. They're both the same blood. And I said, yeah, it's fallen nature, isn't it? We live in a broken world, don't we? And I just said to her, doesn't it remind us? Isn't it a reminder that we're not made for this world? We're not made for a world with war. We're made with peace, for peace and peace with God and with each other. Second Peter 3.11, Peter says, since all these things will be dissolved in this way, Peter's just said the heavens and the earth that will be destroyed, there will be a new heaven and earth. It is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. As you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming, because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. When the world blows up all around you because people are at war, when catastrophes strike like fires and hurricanes, isn't a reminder, isn't a wonderful reminder, hey, it just tells us we're not made for a world at war. We're made for heaven. Revelation 21.3. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And will be their God. And who will wipe away every, every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. One of the things that we know for sure, one of the things we need to hold on to with both hands for sure when the world is so uncertain is there's coming a day when he will wipe away every tear. It, it concerns many of us what potentially could erupt in the Middle East as things escalate. But no matter how things get, how bad things get, they're a constant reminder that life is a mist, that we're here today like grass and gone tomorrow. And what matters is what is eternal. So let's pray that God will use what Satan intends for evil right now for his good. Individually, somehow, with individuals, people will come to Christ. That the church, somehow, will understand more than ever, people need the Lord. He is our peace. And that God will do more than we could ever ask or imagine because he really is at work through us. I'm reminded of that picture of um, Kim Fook Fan Tee, um, who was, uh, her village was attacked with napalm in, uh, in Vietnam. 
very famous Pulitzer Prize winning picture because she's just this little girl running down the street in tears, completely naked. She, went, she wrote one time, you've seen my picture a thousand times. I'm nine years old running along a puddled roadway, arms outstretched, naked, shrieking in pain and fear, the dark corridor of napalm cloud billowing in the distance. Those bombs have brought me immeasurable pain, the emotion and spiritual pain even harder to endure. She said as a child, she grew up, grew up in a religion called Cow Dai. For years, she prayed to the gods of Cow Dai for healing and peace, but those prayers were never answered. It became clear to her those gods were non-existent or at least didn't care about her. One day in 1982, she went to a library in Saigon and found a New Testament and opened it. And she read through the Gospels. She said two themes became abundantly clear. First, although um, Cao Dai said there were many gods, Jesus, Jesus was very straightforward in saying, I am the way to God. There is no other way but me. Second, she said, Jesus had suffered defense of his claim. He had been mocked, tortured, and killed. Why would he endure these things if he were not God? She writes, I'd never been exposed to this side of Jesus, the wounded one, the one who bore scars. I came to believe that he was really who he said he was. And the most important to me, he really would do all that he promised in his word. Perhaps he could help me make sense of my pain and at last come to terms with my scars. Christmas Eve, 1982, she says, I was attending a special service at a small church in Saigon. How desperately I needed peace and joy and love and hope. I had so much hatred in my heart. I wanted this Jesus. So I made my way to the front of the sanctuary, and I said yes to Jesus. And I experienced the kind of healing that can only come from God. I was finally at peace. Nearly half a century has passed since I found myself running, frightened, naked, and in pain, down that road in Vietnam. I will never forget the horrors of that day, but my faith in Jesus has enabled me to forgive those who have hurt and scarred me. Today, I thank God for everything, even for that road, especially for that road. And I'm reminded of her story. I remember reading that some time ago. And I was thinking about right now what's going on. We have to always remember God is up to more than we can see. We always have to hold on knowing that should Jesus not return in 15 or 20 or 30 years, there are stories that are being written right now that will only be understood in 20 or 30 years from now. And so our prayer is, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Our prayer is, Lord, may we be your people in this time. And our prayer is, God, would you do more than we could ask or imagine And taking what Satan intends for death and hatred and division and scars and evil and turn it to good, to salvation, to hope and healing. Heavenly Father, we just confess that we need you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, how you have worked in the past and now we are able to 
sit in the stands and see your work um, and know that you are at work right now and will be at work in ways we can't see. God, I pray that you'd give um, give peace to those who are needing peace right now. I pray that you give wisdom to each of us. Help us to be ready to give an answer for the reason, that the hope that we have, and to turn people to you in this time. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us.